1 Samuel chapter 23. Now they told David, behold, the Philistines are fighting against Keilah and robbing the threshing floors. Therefore, David inquired of the Lord, shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord said to David, go and attack the Philistines and save Keilah. But David's men said to him, behold, we are afraid here in Judah. How much more than if we go to Keilah against the armies of the Philistines? And David inquired of the Lord again, and the Lord answered him, Arise, go down to Keilah, for I will give the Philistines into your hand. And David and his men went to Keilah and fought with the Philistines and brought away their livestock and struck them with a great blow. So David saved the inhabitants of Keilah. When Abitha, son of Elimelech, fled to David to Keilah. He, he had come down with an ephod in his hand. Now it was told Saul that David had come to Keilah, and Saul said, God has given him into my hand, for he has shut himself in by entering a town that has gates and bars. And Saul summoned all the people to war to go down to Keilah and besiege David and his men. David knew that Saul was plotting harm against him, and he said to Abathar the priest, bring the ethod here. Then said David, O Lord, the God of Israel, your servant has surely heard that Saul seeks to come to Keilah to destroy the city on my account. Will the men of Keilah surrender me into his hand? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? O Lord, the God of Israel, please tell your servant. And the Lord said, he will come down. Then David said, Will the men of Keilah surrender me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, They will surrender you. Then David and his men, who were about 600, arose and departed from Keilah, and they went wherever they could go. When Saul was told that David had escaped from Keilah, he gave up the expedition, and David remained in the strongholds in the wilderness, in the country of the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul sought him every day, but God did not give him into his hand. David saw that Saul, Saul had come out to seek his life. David was in the wilderness of Ziph at Horesh, and Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horesh and strengthened his hand in God. And he said to him, Do not fear, for the hand of Saul my father shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Saul, my father, also knows this, and the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. David remained at Horesh, and Jonathan went home. Then the Ziphites went up to Saul at Geber, saying, Is not David hiding among us in the strongholds at Horesh, on the hill of Hanachah, which is south of Jeshimon? Now come down, O king, according to all your heart's desire to come down, and our part shall be to surrender him into the king's hand. And Saul said, May you be blessed by the Lord, for you have had compassion on me. Go and make more sure. Know and see the place where his foot is, and who has seen him there, for it is told to me that he is very cunning. See therefore and take note of all the lurking places where he hides, and come back to me with sure information. Then I will go with you. And if he is in the land, I will search him out among the, house, among the thousands of Judah. And they arose and went to Ziph ahead of Saul. 
Now David and his men were in the wilderness of Maon, in the Abarath, to the south of Jeshimon. And Saul said to his men, and Saul and his men went to seek him. And David was told, so he went down to the rock and lived in the wilderness of Maon. When Saul had heard that he had pursued after David in the wilderness of Maon, Saul went to one side of the mountain, and David and his men on the other side of the mountain. And David was hurrying to get away from Saul, and Saul and his men were closing in on David and his men to capture them. A messenger came to Saul, saying, Hurry and come, for the Philistines have made a raid against the land. So Saul returned from pursuing after David and went against the Philistines. Therefore, that place was called the Rock of Escape, and David went up from there and lived in the strongholds of Engedi. Let's uh, pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for these narratives that teach us about the king we need. And today we learn in the life of David, your chosen king, what it's like for that king. And that points us to the Lord Jesus. Help us to listen and learn, to love him more, and to learn what it means also to be followers of the king and what we should expect. For Jesus' sake, amen. Now, 1 Samuel chapters 21 to 23, it's all printed out in the service sheet. And Doug read for us chapter 23, the third of these chapters. The book of 1 Samuel is about looking for the leader God's people need. And we have found that leader in David, God's chosen king. King David foreshadows the Lord Jesus Christ, God's chosen forever king. We saw how David, as God's king, went out before God's people and defeated their enemy, Goliath. We considered how that points us to Jesus, who went out before us and defeated the enemy, Satan, and sin and death at his cross. And then we saw the two responses to David as God's king, rejection or devotion. These two responses powerfully illustrated in Saul, who rejects God's chosen king, and Jonathan, the crown prince, Saul's son, who loves God's chosen king. And with the Lord Jesus, God's forever king, the two responses are the same. They always have been, rejection or devotion. And now the writer focuses on the life of the king, the life of David that foreshadows the life of Jesus. Three headings in these chapters that hopefully will help us capture the life of the king. God's king suffers, God's king is delivered, and God's kingdom advances. Now, this is the life of David the king that points us to the life of the Lord Jesus, our king. Why not just jump to the gospels? Why not just go to the narratives that describe the Lord Jesus? Well, these narratives in the Old Testament bring us into the realm of understanding the experience of the king the kind of relentless suffering that the king endures for the sake of us. So first, God's king suffers. Now, we saw already in chapters 18 to 20 how Saul, the king that God had rejected, relentlessly and implacably opposed David, God's chosen king. Saul tried to kill David himself. 
he conspired to have David killed. David is an outlaw, a fugitive, running from Saul. There is no let up. Now let me quickly take you through chapters 21, 22, and 23, just so we can feel the relentlessness of it, the kind of machinations, the kind of movements that go on, how David was just nearly on the edge again and again and again. Saul was nearly able to, 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 to kill him. So let's quickly run through that, and you can maybe read it this afternoon. So look in the service sheet, chapter 21, verses 1 to 9. They describe how David, warned by Jonathan that Saul is intent on killing him, escapes to a place called Nob, known as the city of the priests. He goes to a man called Abiathar, who is the high priest, a godly man. And Abiathar gives David Goliath's sword. Now, what else is going on there? It's just a little reminder that David, the outlaw from Saul at this stage, is God's chosen king. He is given the sword with which he defeated Goliath. Uh, with which he, he uh, Goliath's own sword that he took from him. Now David, if we read the narrative, met somebody uh, in the city of Nob, where uh, Ahimelech and the priests of Nob lived, a man called Doeg the Edomite, not one of God's people, and just tuck that name away, we'll come back to it uh, later. Then chapter 21, verses 10 to 15, just look on at that. Describe how David went from Nob to Gath. David keeps moving, he keeps moving to avoid the clutches of, of Saul. Read with me from chapter uh, 21, verse 10. David rose and went that day from Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. Achish is a Philistine, the enemies of God's people. Perhaps David intended to hide there unrecognized. Perhaps he thought Saul wouldn't look for him there. But David is recognized and fearing for his life at the hand of King Achish of Gath, David feigns madness and escapes. Now, don't think that these events happen sort of one week after the other. I think all that we are reading in 1 Samuel 21, 22 to 23 is probably over a period of years, maybe two to three years, kind of same length of time that the Lord Jesus had his public ministry. Chapter 22, verse 1. Just follow with me again as I read. David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. Adullam is back inside the promised land. And the word uh, cave might also be translated as stronghold or fortress. It's just a kind of natural fortress or stronghold cut out of a rock. And then let's slow down and read carefully. Chapter 22, second half of verse 1. When his brothers, that's David's brothers, and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. So David is not alone, he has followers. And then verse 2 is really striking. Everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him, and he became captain over them, and there were with him about 400 men. These are the king's followers, the people who are loyal to God's king. A few soldiers among them, some of David's brothers were soldiers, but isn't verse 2 striking? Everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him. These are the kind of people who gather around God's king. Or, these are the kind of people that God's king gathers around him. And they are the kind of people who gather around the Lord Jesus. The 12 disciples Jesus called fishermen, tax collectors. That's the pattern. 
And Jesus is asked, why do you gather with these kind of people? And Jesus said, well, I have not come to call the righteous. I have come to call the sick, those in need. Well, the Apostle Paul, writing to the church in Corinth, for considering your calling, brothers, not many of you were wise according to worldly standards, not many powerful, not many were of noble birth. That could be said of most local churches. It could be said of Chalmers. We are, I see before me, a motley bunch. And you see before me a weak leader. It was a motley bunch who gathered around King David at Adullam. David, their captain, about 400 men. That motley bunch, think of it in all of its weakness and unlikeliness to prevail against Saul and his armies. Chapter 22, verse 3, David goes to a place called Mizpah in Moab and asks the king of Moab if he will shelter David's father and mother. Just a little sign of the compassion and care and love of God's king. Chapter 22, verse 5. David is back in Adullam. Uh, the prophet Gad said to David, Do not remain in the stronghold. Depart and go into the land of Judah. Once again, David has to move. So David departed and went into the forest. He really is an outlaw if he goes to a forest. And then in chapter 22, verse 6 and following, the narrative kind of goes back to Saul. Imagine if this was a movie or a drama. We've been with David all this time, and now we're back to Saul, the rejected king. Saul is told that David was discovered. It's reasonable to assume that Saul had heard that David was in the stronghold of Adullam. That's probably why the prophet Gad said to David, you need to leave. Saul knows. And we read that Saul was sitting at Gibeah under the tamarisk tree on the height with a spear in his hand, and all his servants were standing around him. So picture Saul sitting at Gibeah under the tamarisk tree, which is at the top of a hill. The point being, that Saul is out in the open, no need to hide. And he has a spear in his hand. The last time we met Saul, back in chapter 20, he had a spear in his hand that he tried to pin his son to the wall with. So we're with Saul. And remember back to just earlier in chapter 21, when David was in the city of Nob meeting Elimelech, the priest. They'd sheltered him, and that man, Doeg, the Edomite, was there, and David had his suspicions. Well, here we are back with Saul, and Saul is remonstrating with his soldiers, with his men, with his servants, saying, why are you not loyal to me? Why are you loyal to David? And uh, Saul finds out that Elimelech and the priests of Nob had sheltered David, and so he summons them. And he accuses them of treachery. Whereas, in fact, all they had done was show their loyalty to God's king. And then Saul says something shocking. He turns to his servants or his soldiers, and he says to them, I want you to kill these priests. 
and they refuse. God's people refuse to kill God's priests. But then up steps Doeg, the Edomite, and he says, I'll do it. And so he slaughters 85 of them and then ravages the city of the priests, the city of Nob. It is a terrible act of evil against the people of God, but worse than what Doeg the Edomite did was the fact that Saul, the Israelite, ordered him to do it. One of the sons of Ahimelech, verse 20, escapes. His name is Abiathar. He tells David what Saul has done. And notice David's response, chapter 22, verse 22. I knew on that day when Doeg the Edomite was there that he would surely tell Saul, I have occasioned the death of all the persons of your father's house. Contrast David's horror at what happened and self-recrimination, even though it is not his fault, with Saul's terrible hatred of all who stand with God's king. And then David says to Abiathar, verse 23, stay with me, do not be afraid, for he who seeks my life seeks your life. With me you shall be in self-safekeeping. That's a, a kind of odd statement, isn't it? He who seeks your life, my life seeks your life, but you're safe with me. Just stand back. That doesn't make any sense, does it? He's seeking my life. He's powerful. We're weak. Just look at the motley band. But you're safe with me. Now there is a text in Samuel that you could write and remember spoken by David or spoken by God's forever King, the Lord Jesus, with me you shall be safe. Do not be afraid. And that brings us to chapter 23. Now, chapter 23 is a great drama. David is told, verse 1, that the Philistines, the enemies of God, and his people are fighting against Calah. Calah is a city in the lowlands of Judah. The people of Calah are God's people. The name Calah means citadel. It was a fortified city. The city was being attacked by the Philistines, raiding parties, stealing grain. And when David, God's chosen king, who is, after all, up against it, beleaguered and in fear of his life every day, hears that the Philistines are attacking God's people, his immediate instinct as God's king is to go out before the people and save them for their enemies. So what does he do? He asks God, should I go and save these people? Maybe he has an eye on the motley bunch. And God says, yes, you should. And then his men said, come on, David, we are afraid. We're fearful enough here in Judah. Why should, is it wise for us to go out there and to fight the armies of the Philistines? And David inquired of the Lord again. It really did not look like they should do this. And God said, go and I will give them into your hands. And so they went and they delivered the people of Caleb from the threat of the Philistines. Because God was with them. Because God did it. 
And then Saul learns that David had gone to Keilah. Listen to the irony in Saul's words, verse 7 of chapter 23. It was told Saul that David had come to Keilah. And Saul said, God has given him into my hand. Now, you're meant as the reader to contrast that with the Lord gave the Philistines into David's hand. And we are meant to question Saul's conclusion that the Lord had given David into his hand. No, he hadn't. It's when the those who oppose God's king think that really circumstances are with them. But they're not. Saul summons his army to go to Keilah. David hears that Saul is coming to destroy the city and kill David. And once again, David seeks counsel from the Lord before doing anything. He asks two things of the Lord. Remember before he said, should we go and deliver these people, your people, from the Philistines? You should go. And then prompted by his men's fear, God, should we really go? Yes, you should go, and I will give them into your hand. So he does it. And now he hears that Saul has found out about this, and he's coming to get him at Keilah. And David asks the Lord two more questions. One, is Saul going to come and get me? Us? Second question, will the people of Keilah betray me? And the answer to both of these questions is yes. Now just stop and feel how God's king must have felt. Just wherever he turns, there is opposition. Notice verses 13 and 14. They're very poignant. Chapter 23. David and his men, who were about 600, arose and departed from Keilah. Notice the increase from 400 to 600, just bit by bit. The company of God's people, the disciples of the king, are growing. They arose and went wherever they could go. Now, David much as he believed and he did with all his heart that God will fulfill his promises, must have been vexed. Why did God tell me to go? And then why on earth did all that happen? What's he doing? The providences of God. Hard to fathom. David and his group arose and departed from Keilah, and they went wherever they could go. They really had nowhere to go. No place is safe. When Saul was told that David had escaped, he gave up the expedition. David remained in the strongholds in the wilderness and the hill country of the wilderness, and Saul sought him every day, but God did not give him into his hand. There's a summary statement of the relentlessness of the suffering of God's king. Saul sought him every day. But there is also a statement of the sovereignty of the God of God's King. God did not give him into his hand. Now let's pause there and consider the enemies David, God's King, faced. He faced external threats, the Philistines, the Edomites. 
he faced internal threats from among God's own people, specifically from Saul and his servants and from the people of Keilah who betrayed him. David, God's king, was surrounded by opposition at every side. It comes from every side, every side, and it was relentless. Moreover, David saw people that had sheltered him, people who were loyal to him, attacked Abiathar and the priest of Nod. God's priests killed because they had stood with God's king, and God's king felt it. And it was the same for the Lord Jesus. In his life, he faced rejection, opposition from the Roman authorities, and he faced rejection, opposition from the Jewish authorities. Just like the events of 1 Samuel, David faced opposition from externally, he faced opposition internally, he was betrayed, the religious leaders betrayed him. Jesus faced the same. And all of the opposition Jesus faced conspired to have him crucified. God's king suffers. The life of God's king is one of suffering. God's chosen king suffers. Second point. God's king is delivered. Now, as we have worked through the text of these chapters, we have seen this again and again. David's life is in danger, constant danger. David faces threats on every side. He moves from pillar to post. He ducks and he dies. He's told to go. He discovers there's a new threat there. But on every occasion, the Lord protects him every single time. Again and again and again, the Lord delivers him from the clutches of Saul. David is constantly under threat, but never touched. How does God protect him? Well, by putting people in his path to help him, to give him sanctuary, to warn him, or by speaking directly to him through his prophet, or by speaking directly to him himself. Just let me pause there and just make the point that when we are perplexed at what is going on and what to do, the place we need to turn to make the right decision is to the Word of God, always. For that is the way the Lord protects His King. That is the way the Lord protects the followers of the king. And behind all of this, the way that God protects his king is the sovereign hand of God. Sovereign is a given. Sovereign is, sovereignty is never negotiable. The sovereign hand of God is often spoken of and expressed in what we would call the providences of God, the orchestration of events and peoples, whatever, to protect his king. God is with his king. God was with David, protecting him and keeping him and God was with the Lord Jesus Christ throughout his life, protecting him and keeping him right from the start of Jesus' public ministry. Let me read to you a verse from the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. It's Mark chapter 3 and verse 6. This is the beginning of his three years of ministry. The Pharisees went out, that's the Jewish religious leaders, and immediately held counsel with the Herodians and other sects of religious leaders as to how to kill Jesus. That's like it's drawn straight out of the narrative of 1 Samuel, plotting and conspiring against God's king. God's king is protected. God's king is delivered. But that does not mean that God's king is shielded from the experience of suffering. Yes, the Lord delivers his king out of difficulties, from the very clutches of death, 
but it's again and again and again and again. And there is another dimension. Yes, the Lord delivers his king from the difficulties and opposition he faces, but the Lord also delivers his king in the difficulties, in the fire of suffering. Listen to these words from Isaiah, written for the heart of a suffering king. Fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will uphold you with my hand. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. The rivers will not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. But notice, you will pass through the waters. You will walk through the fire. But you will not be overwhelmed. And you will not be burned. Now here in 1 Samuel 23, we read of how the Lord's King was strengthened in the fire of suffering. Verse 14, Saul sought him every day. Verse 15, David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life. Do we know that David really was cast down in his soul? Well, we do know from the psalm that we read, which is the psalm that he wrote here. How does the psalm begin? God's king cries, O God, save me by your name. Vindicate me, hear my prayer. Strangers have risen against me. David really was beleaguered. He needed encouragement. He needed his hand strengthened in the Lord. And so he got it from Jonathan. Verse 16. Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David and strengthened his hand in God. Notice the contrast. Saul went out to kill David. Jonathan went out to strengthen David. What was Jonathan's intent? To put David's hand in God's hand. David's hand of comfort and counsel may have been an encouragement to David, but to put the king's hand into God's hand was a stronger encouragement. To put David into the hand of someone who says, fear not, I am with you. How does Jonathan put his hand into God's hand? By speaking the truth in love. Verse 17, do not fear for the hand, notice the hand reference again, for the hand of my father Saul shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel and I shall be next to you. Saul, my father, knows this. Saul, my father, knows this. That's a striking reference. Think of Jesus' ministry right at the beginning of Mark's gospel when he cast out a demon. The demon or the devil behind the possession of that man in the temple says, I know who you are. Still opposes. Now, was the Lord Jesus, God's forever king, ever undone, distraught, weary, and in need of encouragement? Yes, in the Garden of Gethsemane. When he cried in anguish to his father. Just like David cried in Psalm 54. 
And what happened to Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane? What happened to David is that Jonathan came and strengthened his hand in the Lord. What happened to Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane is that angels strengthened him. What was the result of Jonathan's strengthening of David's hand in the Lord? The second half of Psalm 54, which begins. See the difference between the first half and the second half? The first half, help me, O God, help me, O God, help me, O God, for all are against me. And then Psalm 54, verse 4, behold, God is my helper. The difference is his hand is in God's hand. What happens when Jesus is strengthened in the Garden of Gethsemane? He gets up and he says, yet not my will, but you'll be done. Time, it is time, it is time. Now, in our narrative, chapter 23, what happens next is dramatic. We don't have time to read it. We never have enough time. Let me tell you the story. Or the events, for these are true. The Ziphites go up to Saul and they say, David's with us. He's here. And Saul just awful irony in his words may you be blessed by the lord for you have had compassion on me go and find david he is very cunning he is a schemer so spin was not a 21st century phenomenon david and his men are in the wilderness of maon and there's a big mountain and david and his men go round the mountain that way yep and Saul and his men go around the mountain that way and they're just about to, to, to meet and there's no escape for David and his men, this motley crew. And we're just at that point to make good drama, good movie. And just on the wire, Saul receives a message. Saul, the Philistines are raiding the land. And Saul and his army are diverted. And David, forever after, calls that place the rock of escape, a dramatic deliverance, a memorable deliverance. And what does that point us to? Surely the Lord Jesus, God's forever King, being delivered not from the clutches of death, not from the shadow of death, but from death itself, the ultimate deliverance of God's King, the Apostle Peter speaking to the Jewish council, said, you crucified him, but God raised him from the dead. God's king suffers, God's king is delivered, and third, his kingdom advances. How does the king's kingdom advance? Through suffering. Why? Because God's king will always be opposed and rejected. Why? Because of what he asks of us. He asks us that we acknowledge our need of forgiveness, that we look to him for forgiveness, that we submit to him as our Savior and Lord, that we renounce self for him. And behind our rejection as humanity of God's King is Satan's opposition. Though Satan is a defeated enemy, he is not yet consigned to eternal hell. That is his judgment, along with all those who reject Jesus, God's King. He opposes the living church. He opposes the advance of the gospel. 
Jesus' kingdom on earth always will advance through suffering. Think of China. It's exactly what we see. Increasingly in this part of the world where we really do feel like a motley crew up against a dominant secularism. It's just like this. That's the message of 1 Samuel. God's king suffered, God's king is delivered, and God's king advances. There is nothing Saul can do. His cause is a hopeless cause because God is with his king. Jesus said, I will build my church and nothing will oppose it. Let me just ask this question before we turn to two points of application to close. Are you against God's King Jesus? Are you unwilling to submit to him? Are you opposed to him? Are you rejecting his authority? You cannot prevail. You cannot succeed. You will lose. And in the end, you will be lost. Two applications as we close. The first a question, what should followers of God's king expect? Now, the narrative here is all about God's king, all about the experience of God's king, and it points us to the experience of Jesus. And we learn from these chapters the nature of the relentless suffering that Jesus endured for us that took him ultimately to the cross. We learn about how God protected his king at every turn. We learn about God's providence. We learn about God's sovereignty. It's all about God's King, the Lord Jesus. But it does have stuff to say to us as followers of God's King about our experience of living as a church, our experience of living as Christians. There are a number of references to his followers, that motley bunch in chapter 22. Or the beginning of chapter 23, when they ask David because they're afraid. Or, or verse 13 of chapter 23. It's David and his men, all of them who are saved. The king is not alone. He has followers. David is an outlaw on the run from Saul, and so are they. David suffers, and so do they. What did Jesus say? He said, the Son of Man is about to be killed. The Son of Man must suffer many things. The next verse, anyone who follows the Son of Man must take up their cross. Let him deny self and follow me. What do the apostles say? 1 Peter, don't be surprised. As a local church, living as exiles in the world at the fiery trial you are going through, don't be surprised if your experience as a church is kind of ducking and diving and thinking, how are we going to get out of this? How's God going to get us through the next bit? Don't be surprised. 2 Timothy 3, all who desire to live a godly life will be persecuted. Ephesians 6, the end of that letter. Be strong in the Lord, for you are in a spiritual battle. Followers of God's king are to expect suffering. Jesus is opposed and rejected. His followers are opposed and rejected. His message is opposed and rejected. And when his followers speak his message, especially in a time when no one heeds that message, it will be and they will be opposed and rejected. The kingdom of Jesus advances against opposition. Spirit, what's, it, what's it like? Spiritual warfare. It is constant. It is relentless. Is it like what David experienced? Is it really? 
Well, the Apostle Peter says we live as exiles in the world, out of step with the majority. That is normal Christian experience, perhaps most pointed for those in Christian leadership, church leaders, and it leads to real discouragement, weariness, and bleakness. That's how Timothy was. Timothy, the key leader, Paul wrote to him and said, come on, Timothy, keep going. I remind you to fan into flame the gift that God has given you. Now, I hope this is not heard the wrong way, that very often Sally and I would find that actually getting out of the city for us just takes away some of the spiritual pressure. And Paul writes these wonderful words, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but never despair. We are forsaken, but never destroyed. When we bear your death in our souls, or when we suffer, there is life in you. We are to expect that, and we are to expect uh, protection and deliverance. The people of God are no less safe than the king. The providences of God are no less at work in the life of his people than they were in the life of his king. The sovereignty of God is no less the sky above our heads than it is for God's king. Every local church has a story if that church is a gospel church, it will be out there battling at the king's side. It will be doing that not out of duty, but out of love. And what it will feel like or look like in the history of any living local church is again and again, obstacles, opposition, challenges, setbacks. But through it all, that local church is protected, sustained, provided for, delivered, strengthened, experiencing the hands of God's providence as it pushes forward with Jesus in the advance of his kingdom. Never, ever easy never without suffering, but always, always, always advancing. And has the last nine months not proved that point again? How on earth have we been able to stay united as a church with all the disparity of these events? Because God's sovereignty and God's providence is all around us. Lastly, like God's King, we need encouragement as churches and as individuals when we experience opposition. We need our hands strengthened in God and his promises. Jonathan went to David to strengthen his hand in God. We go to one another to strengthen our hands in God. How do we do it? Just like Jonathan and David, we go to one another and we speak the truth in love. That's what Jonathan did. In a local church, the people of God speaking the truth and love to one another, putting one another's hands in the Lord's hand, that is how a local church is strengthened in the difficult times that come because it follows the king. You know, that's what happens on Zoom groups after the service. That's why we take a deep breath and get over our Zoom fatigue because we speak the truth in love and strengthen each other's hands in the Lord. And so we go on for another week, another week, another week.
And we need it. We all need it. And it's wonderful to receive it. When someone speaks the truth in love to you, when someone is you, Jonathan, but it's even more wonderful to give it and to speak it into someone's soul. Let's pray. Lord, we want to put each other's hands into your hand this morning as a church family with these words, written for a king, but written for a king's people. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God, and I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. Thank you, our Father, that the Word of God describes the Christian life, life in a local church, exactly as it is. And so we are strengthened in your sovereignty and in your providences with your protecting hand upon us to press on with the work of the glorious gospel of Jesus. For his sake and in his name we pray. Amen.